Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27. One of the things that I love about church history is to learn from all of these pilgrim saints who before us have gone, men and women who have uh, loved Jesus and lived for Jesus. Paul told the church at Corinth to follow him as he followed Jesus, and history provides numerous examples uh, of people who we would do well to follow. As we walk through the book of Psalms uh, and through these pages, in a way we are following the path of the psalmists as we also desire to grow in our understanding and knowledge of God. We're learning from the experience of others. When I read the Psalms, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on the prayers of spiritual giants who have walked with God. I come to this book wanting to stand on their shoulders so I can see the way that these saints of old did and know God the way that they did. Charles Spurgeon, and I hesitate to even use his name these days because of the continual jokes of how much I've been quoting Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) So, Charles Spurgeon said, the Psalms were so important to him that if he had nothing else to think of, he would have thought of nothing else. That's how important the Psalms were. If he had nothing else to think of, he would have thought of nothing else. So to prove that claim true, he spent 20 years studying the Psalms and writing his magnum opus, The Treasury of David, a seven-volume set commentary through the Psalms. I'm one of eight humans that have read every page. (laughs) Why would you do that? Why would you spend so much time in this book? Well, because Spurgeon loved to meet God in his word. And he desired to walk this well-worn path of those who had gone before him so that he also might walk with Christ. He wanted to stand on the psalmist's shoulders, as it were, so he could get a clearer picture of who God is and to learn from these people of old, these ancient songs, so he could sing with them himself. And Well, this is why we come back so regularly to the psalms each summer because they are a great help to us. One of the things I love about the Psalms is that every page is full of God. The lyrics of these songs bring God close to us. As they sing of who He is, they describe what He's like and remind us what He has done. These songs shape our lives around God. They are forming us to be a people who are shaped by God, and they teach us how to seek Him. So as I've been praying for you this week and praying for me, my prayer has been over and over, Lord, let us be a people who seek you wholeheartedly, to be men and women and students who seek the Lord wholeheartedly, that God in his glory would be the center of our lives, and that everything else would find its orientation to that son. The lyrics of Psalm 27 invite us to confidently trust in the Lord as we live as people who seek him above 
all. Even as threats surround and dangers mount, David fixes his eyes on God as he confidently proclaims God's glorious salvation. Instead of allowing his heart to tremble in the presence of danger, his heart flies to God and finds renewed confidence in his presence. So this chapter teaches us that seeking God first is more than a philosophy, but it involves intentional practice. And in this psalm, we hear David sing to his light and his salvation. So my prayer is that as we do, as we work through this text, we might join him in singing, because of Christ, God is our light and our salvation. I'll divide the text into three sections that I believe present a biblical and holistic picture of what it looks like for us to be a people who seek God first. And it won't take us long to determine that apart from God's grace operating in us, and this is all for nothing, right? It begins with Him. And so we look to Him first. And what we'll see is that as we seek to be people who seek God, we'll need these three things. A mind that knows God, verses 1 through 7. Second, a heart that desires God, verses 8 through 12. And then third, a life that is centered on God. So that we would be a people who seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Would you please stand with me as we read together this remarkable passage from God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you be seated? The first section of our text teaches us that if we are to be people who seek God, we must have a mind that knows Him. A mind full of thoughts and truths about God. Every part of what David experiences in these first verses is based on truths that he has come to know and believe. The opening words set the direction of the psalm by communicating this sure and steady confidence in who God is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I Fear. In verses 1 through 3, dance around the reality of God's presence, even in the face of danger. Three times fear is mentioned, but each reference is stomped on with a truth that is greater than the fear itself. And so it ends up asking questions to us like this What darkness is there to fear? When God is your light, what physical danger is there to be afraid of when God is the salvation of your soul? What enemy is there to fear when God is the stronghold that you are safely hidden in? You see, Let's get this straight. David's not closing his eyes to the problems that surround. He's simply fixing his attention on God who holds every threat on the leash of his providence. Twice in verse 1, he says, The Lord, the Lord, showing that his mind is stayed on God. And the combination of these words, light and salvation and stronghold, these synonyms, Hymn David in with confidence in the Lord, each describing how he's come to know God as the light of his salvation, of the stronghold of his life. He's known God. The psalm begins with David's mind full of truth. Verses four through seven pull back the curtain into David's thought life as he tells us the one thing that he's asked of the Lord. Now, before we get to that actual request that he makes, I want us to remember how many different life domains that David has to be thinking in all the time. He is the king of a nation. He is the captain of an army. And as if those two things weren't enough, he is a husband and a father. And the, the Psalms are shot through with David praying specific things in all of those areas that we just talked about. 
And as important as they all are to him, he's saying, this is the thing that is above all things, the thing that's primary above all of them. This is the driving desire of his life. This is what he says. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, and that's where we're arranging our thoughts, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To dwell in the house of the Lord. Just to be clear, David's not talking about living at church. That's not what he's talking about. God's called him to be the king and to be a captain and a husband and father and a songwriter. All these things God has given David to do. He's not trying to retreat. What he's saying is that above all, the one thing that he's living for is to know God and to enjoy his presence forever. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So that phrase, what he means, what he's saying is that he wants his own eyes to see God's goodness and love and compassion on display. He wants to know that and see that firsthand. And more so, he wants to inquire in God's temple. That, that phrase is a little strange, a little clunky in the ESV there. That word inquire means he wants to meditate in his temple. If he had nothing else to think about, he would have thought of nothing else. He fills his thoughts with God, turning over in his mind again and again who God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that in Psalm 27, we find a strategy for living. That is so helpful. A strategy for living. That strategy begins with looking first to God. Brothers and sisters, let our strategy for living, our strategy for seeking the Lord, begin with a mind full of the truth of Scripture so that when the lies of the enemy are thundering in our ears, the voice of God is louder still. What passages do you know that you can run to so that when the dangers of life encircle, you remember who you are and who you belong to? David has been taught truth. He's kept the truth in front of him, and that has resulted in this God-sized confidence in who the Lord is. Will there be troubles? Oh, you betcha. In these verses, there's the mention of an army of evildoers who want to assail him and consume him. So will there be troubles? Oh, yeah. Yet David trusts that God will hide him in his presence and secure him on the mountain of his love. The scriptures teach us to rightly estimate our trials but not to underestimate our God. So David stares his problems in the face, and then he turns his face to stare at the face of God. This is how we find him busy worshiping and making sacrifices and writing songs, even when dangers surround 
So are you seeking God with your mind, with your thoughts? Are you filling up your mind with truth? When you don't have anything else to think about, do your thoughts go to God? Uh, My concern is also these things can just get busied out of our thinking. God can get busied out with a full schedule where God gets just pushed further and further to the margin of our thought life that eventually he's just replaced by all of these good things but not God things. And so let us pray for a mind that knows God so that in every situation we might sing, the Lord my strong salvation is, my helper ever near. While I am his and he is mine, what has my soul to fear? The second thing we need as we seek the Lord as his people is a heart that desires him. We don't have to go too far again before we recognize the need for God's grace to attend and go before us with every one of these elements of a life centered around God that seeks God. The psalmist here turns he's, because he's proclaiming to other people who his God is, and now he turns his attention and speaks to God personally in passionate prayer. And this prayer opens up with language we've grown accustomed to seeing in these first 27 psalms that we've studied. He asks that God would hear him as he calls out, and then he does something fantastic. David prays by quoting God to God. As if God had forgotten what he had said. You have said, seek my face. This is what you've invited us to do. By the way, this invitation is in the plural form, not meant just for David, but for all the people of God to come and seek him and know him. So, You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The Boswell translation of that says, God, you said seek you. I'm coming after you. Not based on my own righteousness, my own performance, but based on your promise. I'm going to respond to this. I want to seek you. David understands that this invitation from God to his people was an invitation to know him, to truly, personally know God. This is the very thing that David's heart wants more than anything in the world. How did that happen? David's heart wasn't born that way. It was made new that way by putting his faith in God. And now his heart is tuned to sing God's praise. His heart is tuned to love his maker. God is his light and his salvation. And so now the goal of his life is to know communion with God. Verses 9 and 10 contain a series of things that David asks the Lord not to do. Lord, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn away from me in anger. Don't cast me off or forsake me. Not David knows, and we know, that these are things that God, uh, that are contrary to God's nature and character. This isn't how he treats his people. 
But David is using this language because he would still like assurance in what he already knows to be true. How often does your heart simply need assurance in what you already know to be true? So my children know that I love them. But I make it a point every single day to communicate that to them because I want them to have the deep assurance of the love of their father. Psalm 27 is full of assurance that the father's love is for us. And he is reminded, and here he is reminding us. That's the point of verse 10. David says, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, as far as we know, uh, David's dad, Jesse, and we don't really know David's mom's name, but nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that they forsook their son. So what he's doing here is using a metaphor, which he often does, the prophetic letters often do, of showing how deep and faithful the love of a parent is toward their child and showing how the love of God the Father toward his people is so much stronger even than the bond of love between a parent and a child. This is even what's in view with that. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a play on words. You'll notice the word rejection or forsakenness and the word acceptance. And what David really wants to get at is the reality that God has accepted him. As a matter of fact, the word acceptance carries with it the idea of, of, a, of a father who bends down and grabs his child and lifts him up with assurance, full of love. David's prayer includes both communicating to the Lord how passionately his heart loves him, and that's all predicated on the fact that God has given himself to his people out of a heart full of love. That's what's going on inside of this prayer. I went to the dentist last month, and um, I didn't want to go, but Jamie scheduled an appointment for me, which I'm sure breaks some kind of HIPAA law. (laughs) But since it was on the calendar, I went, and um, I didn't need to go. I had a perfectly good bill of health from, you know, cheese, all that stuff. I was just fine. And then the most shocking thing happened. Before I even got up out of that chair, do you know what that dentist wanted to do? Schedule another appointment with me. How much longer did they want to see me? Six months. Six months. It's like next week. How dirty can teeth get in six months? But a lot can happen in six months. And dentists are right. I am wrong. I want to go on record saying that. And I love the dentist, just to let you know. Um, a lot can happen in six months. And the older we get, we realize how fast six months just blow by like the wind. Uh, the first six months of 2021 are gone, just like that. Uh, the first Sunday that we worshiped the Lord together, we prayed some big prayers out of Matthew chapter 6 from the Lord's Prayer praying that we would be a people who sought the Lord, who prayed, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name in us. Uh, Since then, the last six months, we've been through our first capital campaign as a new church. 
uh, we look to break ground on this new land here in the next you know, number of months. Uh, we did our first VBS. We just did our first youth camp. A lot of things are happening. And so I thought it would be just a good opportunity uh, for us all to just have a six-month checkup. How's your heart? So here's the one diagnostic question. Is your heart growing in love for your Savior, Jesus Christ? Because that doesn't happen on autopilot. Is your love for Christ deepening? Is it growing? If the answer is yes, oh, praise the Lord for his grace. Because that's exactly what that is. His grace at work in you, enlarging your heart toward the Lord. But if the answer is, with honesty, I don't know, or maybe a little bit, or no, not at all, then I want you to look at the invitation of God in verse 8 to you. He calls to you saying, seek my face. Let an orientation of your heart turn again to God. And if you need help or language with what to say to him, that he would do a deep, lasting work in your heart, then pray along with the psalmist. Verses 11 and 12 gives us these two faithful prayers to pray. Lord, teach us your way. Teach my heart how to love you. And lead me, lead my heart in loving you. So ask the Lord to teach and lead your heart so that you would know the confidence that the psalmist enjoys here. To stand before God in his presence on the ground of his covenantal love toward you. And for your heart to just respond to him with love in return. To seek the Lord with all your heart. If there were one way to summarize these verses, it could be summed up by Johnny Cash's first number one billboard hit. Some of you might be old enough to remember that. The others of us just listened to it on iTunes. It was a song called I Walk the Line. Anybody ever heard it? Parents, if you haven't taught your kids about Johnny Cash on the way home, you should do that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> old John Cash, this is his first billboard hit, I Walked the Line. In one verse he says, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I'll spare you the impersonation. Yeah, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. This is a guy writing who is madly in love with this girl but knows the tendency and the pull of every heart. So he says, I have to keep a close watch on it, and so must we. Pay attention to your heart. Shepherd your heart toward the truth. Ask the Lord to shepherd your heart. Ask friends to help shepherd your heart, to care for it and fill it with truth. A transformed heart full of love for Christ comes from him. Ask him. Even though your love may be cold, when the fires have all grown cold, ask him to ignite a fire in your heart toward him. 
a heart that desires God. The final verses show us a life that is centered on God. And the audience of the song changes once more from David talking with God to now he's talking with himself. So in the course of one song, David has gone from talking to people about his God, then he's turned and talked directly to God, and now he's turning and talking to himself. He's doing all of that in these verses. And this final refrain before the music ends There's some final encouragements that he'll need along the way. If ever there were a psalm that provided its own application points, it's Psalm 27. In verses 13 and 14, using Hebrew parallelism, there's actually five different phrases that he's using to encourage himself. I'm going to reduce them to three, proving that David was a Baptist. Okay. There's a reason why. When you're just saying the same thing in two different ways, it's, it's really one thought. So there are three thoughts in five phrases. Here are the three thoughts. Uh, and these are practices that David knows he needs to walk in to maintain this heart position, this heart posture of a person who seeks God. The first is belief. Believe, he says in verse 13. David has a mind that knows God, and he believes in God. Specifically, he says he believes he'll see the goodness of God in his life. Back to seeing the beauty of the Lord, the the demonstration of his love and kindness and compassion toward people. David believes he's going to know that all the days of his life. He believes it. He's looking forward to it. Well, brothers and sisters, we believe that we have seen the goodness of God as we look to the face of Jesus Christ. That is where we have seen the goodness of God on display. See his love demonstrated for you this morning. Remember how his love was demonstrated for you upon the cross where payment for your sin was made. And believe. The second practice that this calls us to is to wait on the Lord. Two times he mentions this, just an extra reminder. Wait on the Lord. If there's any other word more irritating to people that live in Collin County than wait, I don't know what it is. We hate to Wait. But waiting is the way of the Christian life. What are you waiting on the Lord in right now? That's going to be different for every single person in this room, the experience of waiting. But isn't it the same? Each of us called to wait on the Lord in some way. This isn't just a passive waiting. It's not just set the clock four hours from now, we'll come check it again. This is an active waiting, like we're waiting on tables. So we wait on the Lord. We sit before him. We pursue him. And in his timing, not on our timetable, he moves. He moves. Joseph waited for years in prison. Elijah waited for hours, which must have felt like days from fire from heaven. Jonah waited three days for release from that fish. The disciples waited for the Holy Spirit 
God's people are a waiting people. There's a practice of waiting that is in our pursuit of God. And then the final point of application is to take courage. Be strong in the Lord. Take courage for this darkness will break to dawn. Um, one preacher said it like this. Obedience is the highest practical courage. So if you want to grow in taking courage, uh, look at what God has revealed in his word and practice obeying that and see if your heart is not filled with courage and strength as you simply live in the light of what God has revealed. So take courage, saints. We know who holds us and we know who holds the future. Is the Lord your light? Is the Lord your salvation? If the honest answer to that is no, then we have it on good authority. His arms are wide open. He says, seek me. Well, how can you do that? Because you're a person full of sin, and we're all people full of sin before Christ has forgiven us. Listen to this good news. The darkest sin of our hearts can be completely purified in the light of who he is. You know, light can purify. Oh, there's no light that purifies like the light of God. This is the only place in the Bible where God literally says, I am the light. He's described as light. He clothes himself as light. He's like light. But here, he is the light. He's the light of his people. He's the light of our lives. He's our salvation, the one who has purified us of our sin. And so if you don't know the Lord as your light and your salvation, seek him. Bring him your sin. Confess it. And he will purify you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And for those of us who know the Lord as our light and our salvation, let us continue to seek him and to live in the good of all of his promises. To believe, to wait, and take courage. When we read the Psalms, we're eavesdropping on the prayers of these spiritual giants who have walked with God. As we come to this book, we stand on their shoulders and we're able to see God more clearly through the pages of his word. But in a way, we see more clearly than they ever saw. Because these saints of old look forward to God's promises made. But we have known the fullness of all of God's promises kept in Christ. And when we talk about Jesus, the conversation's totally different. We don't just stand on his shoulders and learn from his experience. We are carried on his shoulders all the way through this life. He is our salvation. He is our light. So let us pray that Christ in his great grace would grant us minds that would know God, hearts that would desire God, and lives that would be oriented around him. 
as we seek to live this life, Coram Deo, before the face of God. And let us pray. Lord, the things that we ask of you, we can't manufacture or produce on our own. We are completely dependent people. And so I ask by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit that you would grant us minds that would know you, hearts that would desire you, and lives that would be lived marked with joy-filled, Christ-exalting obedience. We ask these things of you, our light and our salvation. Amen.